Welcome to you if you're joining us at home as well. If you have a Bible, uh, we're continuing in our series on the Gospel of Mark. And so head to Mark, um, Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 39 uh, to 45 this morning. Um, maybe before while you're heading there, let me give you some, uh, some context of what we're looking at. Uh, Mark is the, is the shortest, uh, most concise gospel, uh, which is in, in some ways why we chose it. Uh, and throughout Mark, there are various uh, healings and miracles that Jesus does. Uh, and I want to I say, because it may seem strange to you as we go through this this morning, you may think I'm making some extraordinary leaps in what I see in, in the text. Hopefully not, but you may think that. Like, where on earth did you get that from? Uh, all the way through Mark, in all of the healing and miracle passages, uh, what Mark does is there's a, there's a healing or there's a miracle that happens, and you can read it and think, that's amazing. But what he's actually communicating is both the event and, and a deeper meaning in it as well. Uh, and so the words, the, the way he writes it, everything that he chooses is there to communicate multiple things to us. And so that's what we're going to do uh, all the way through the book of Mark as we look at different healings and miracles and stuff. So I just wanted to mention that before we dive into this morning, in case you start thinking like Doug has uh, been scratching around looking on the internet and he's come up with this weird conspiracy stuff. Like you, you're going to see it here, but I want to set that pace for that's what's coming in the next. It's amazing as you go through the, book, the gospel of Mark. You see these, these this multiple layers of what God is trying to teach us, uh, both in what Jesus did and in the profound meaning of those things that He's chosen to for us to uh, record here. So let's have a look. Mark chapter one. I'll read from verse uh, thirty-nine. <clears throat> he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and. On his knees, begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the, <clears throat> with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Again, as we dive into this, <clears throat> Father, as we, as we sit with your word before us, we again acknowledge that we want to come underneath it. We don't come to study your word. We come to hear your word. We come to hear you speak, to teach us by the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, to instruct us. And so we, we pray that you would do that this morning. Thank you for this astounding promise of yours that when we gather around your word, the Holy Spirit would come and would reveal you to us, reveal our own hearts, would strengthen us in your presence through the unveiling, the revelation of your word. And so we, we want to say that we're desperate to hear from you this morning. We pray that you would come and teach us, open up our eyes 
Help us to see what we need to see and give us hearts that are receptive to receive what you have for us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the dual meaning of this? I mean, it's a, it's a fairly simple passage. We're going, to go, we're going to go through the different characters and what happens here. But uh, let me say this at the beginning, that <clears throat> leprosy is the dual meaning here. Uh, leprosy, you may not be an Old Testament uh, scholar, uh, but leprosy, when you go into the Old Testament, there, there are a couple of chapters in the Old Testament of how God wanted his people to deal with those who had leprosy and other various skin diseases. And you can go and read it. Uh, in your own time, you know, we're not going to read it now. It's not particularly riveting. It's really long. It has a lot of uh, strange stuff around wearing face coverings uh, over half their faces and isolating and being out. It's like very ominous reading it these days. It's like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> did God know something we don't? Uh, maybe that's where they got the whole mask thing from. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> leprosy throughout Scripture is always a sign of uncleanness, of, of ceremonial uncleanness. There's like a spiritual connection together with leprosy. It's not just that he, this man is sick with leprosy. There's a deeper meaning in this that invites us all in to join in the story. Uh, so let me say, in case you battle with concentration, let me put this out there. And if you're taking notes, write this down. We are all spiritual lepers. There you go. How do you feel? You're a leper and we're all amongst other lepers this morning. Okay, That, will, uh, that gives you some context of how I'm approaching this and how you can see yourself in the story here. You are this man. In a spiritual sense, you are this man. We are all uh, this man. And let's, for a moment, let's have a look at this guy's predicament because you need to enter into his world a little bit. And some of you will, have, will know this, will have heard it. I mean, le <clears throat> leprosy is largely, largely eradicated. I remember years ago, uh, I led a mission team to Thailand and we went to visit, um, I don't even know where we were, the leprosy mission have a have a, a massive ministry there. <clears throat> but it's these sort of isolated places, these isolated, like not colonies, but centers where they're treating it. And I don't know, you know, you need to bump it to people here around Parkhurst who have leprosy. Like it's isolated, I think, in small pockets of the world, largely out of sight and out of mind for, for many of us. And so it's hard maybe to enter into this fully, but let's, let's try and understand uh, this guy's predicament. And maybe top of the list of what this guy is experiencing is isolation. Is, is isolation. Um, that's part of God's instructions to uh, his people when somebody was leprous or having one of these skin diseases. And you may see in your Bible that it says that he who had leprosy and the little note saying, he, or some other skin disease. Like, we're not sure if this guy had exactly the same thing that we call leprosy now that's been medically defined, but let's go with that anyway. Uh, and God's instructions were that people would be to, to be removed from the community so, so that it didn't spread and, and, and infect others. And there's obviously wisdom in that. But the, the massive isolation this caused, you've got to, I mean, isolation has become a word, again, for us now. You know, people self-isolate and maybe you've had COVID or you've been, what, how do we get close, in close contact with somebody or you've been waiting for a test and you've had to isolate or whatever else. Um, and... and it's different though, you know, because we know like, okay, you've got to isolate for five days or whatever, 10 days, 14 days, or maybe you're sick and then it's even longer. But you know that there's going to come a time, Lord willing, that you're going to be negative and you can, you can come back into society and you, know, you can join the team again. Like you can move around, go to the shops and not feel embarrassed and like, like you're breaking rules and all that kind of stuff. For the leper, there's no, 
joining back into society, there's permanent ostracization. I don't know if that's a word. There's permanent isolation. Let's go with that. Uh, they're always outside the community. Um, the early um, Jewish uh, historian Josephus described lepers as the living dead, as a, as a living death. They, they were walking around, uh, but they were treated as if they were dead. Um, and they, would, they had to be sent away and isolated because they were ceremonially unclean and they would defile the people um, in a ceremonial way and they were worried about the disease spreading. So this guy is isolated both from the community and from God. They're not allowed to come and worship with everyone. They're not allowed near the temple. They're not allowed near any people. They've got to be like 100 meters away if they were upwind from people and like six meters away from people if they were downwind or something like that. The whole thing, and if they came near people, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, like warning, warning, don't come near me, don't let me come near you. They had to wear clothing that identified them as, as lepers if it wasn't already evident by the damage to their skin. The whole of this guy's experience um, and life was stay away, stay away, get, isolation, go not just from the people but from God, not able to be part of the worshiping community. That is his life. The second thing that we see in this guy's life, not just isolation, but that he's a danger to himself. He's a danger to himself. We understand now that um, the, the, and Paul Brand, you can read up um, some of the work that he's done on leprosy, the, the massive danger of leprosy is that it numbs your senses and then people end up getting themselves into all kinds of trouble because they can't, they can't feel. You know, the pain and, and sensory stuff is a gift to us to stop us from doing stupid things or unwise things or things that are going to damage ourselves. And when those things are taken away, we can end up hurting ourselves. And so this guy is in some ways a danger to himself um, because of his leprosy. The third thing we see of this guy is that he's desperate. He is desperate. Imagine living life like this, isolated from people, isolated from the community, away from being able to worship God even if he wanted to. Unclean, 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 always before his eyes and in his ears. Worried about the danger he may do to himself. Desperate, desperate, desperate. The Mark records this account that in his desperation, he comes and throws himself on his knees and cries out to Jesus. He breaks all protocol and comes near and makes them all ceremonially unclean by getting up in their faces there and coming to interrupt Jesus. He's, he's desperate. I want, when was the last time you were with somebody who was really desperate? Desperate people do desperate things. They break all the protocols. They're not like waiting in the line, whatever. We saw some of this in, in COVID, in the, in the hard lockdowns, when people were desperate for food. You saw footage on, on TV of people just ransacking places and just jumping the queues and stuff because desperate people do desperate things. They're not holding to decorum and whatever else, they're desperate. Many of us are never truly desperate. Sitting in this room, we're like measured. <laughs> you know? When you're on desperate people, it's very, very different. That's what this guy is. And uh, as I said, these dual meanings, I want us to think about ourselves quickly because I said we're all spiritual lepers. How do we find ourselves in this story? Remember, leprosy is a sign of sin. Leprosy is a sign of sin all the way through uh, this account. And so let's, talk, let's go through those three. Sin has a way of isolating us. Sin has a way of isolating us. Think of your own life, how as we sin, as you struggle with sin, it has a way of 
isolating you from God. It's one of the worst things of, of, of sin and of our sinful nature is the more we sin, instead of running to God, which is exactly what we need, we end up isolating ourselves. We believe the lies that don't go near to God. You're a sinner. Look what you've been doing again. Uh, clean up your act and then you can come back to him. Uh, we rather, we run, we run away. Uh, the very thing that we need, we avoid. And we believe the lies that you need to isolate, fix yourself, heal yourself, clean yourself up, and then you can come back to God. And it's exactly opposite. Sin has a way of isolating us from God, isolating us from uh, others. Sin has a way of breaking relationships with people. Both, both the sin that's done to you. Many of you have been sinned against. Uh, other people's sin has broken your relationship with them. But we have to own that ourselves. Sometimes we have sinned against others and the relationships are broken there. We've been impatient, we've been bitter, we've been unforgiving, we've been unkind. We've been all a million things and the relationships are broken with people. Sin isolates us. Not only does it isolate us, sin makes us a danger to ourselves. Sin makes us a danger to ourselves. The progressive nature of sin as we continue in unrepentance of that sin. It damages us. We have to believe, guys, you have to bank it, that sin always damages you. Sin always damages you. And the way I think it connects with uh, this picture of leprosy is that the more you sin, and the the more there's unrepentance and you carry on down that path, the Bible describes that your conscience gets seared. You You no longer respond to those pain senses kind of thing. You dull those and you find yourself further and further down the road. The Holy Spirit is poking you saying, no, 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 don't go there, don't go there, don't do that. And we've dumbed down the convicting work and and voice of the Holy Spirit so much in our lives that we've almost seared our consciences. You find yourself in a place doing things that you thought you would never do and somehow you actually think it's okay. How did you get there? Well, it's little, little steps of numbing, of spiritual numbing that map the, the, the progression of a disease like leprosy. Little steps that we allow ourselves to go down and we end up becoming a danger to ourselves. And the brokenness of sin, lastly, can leave us desperate. The brokenness of our own sin can leave us desperate. Actually, I would say this, that unless the brokenness of our sin leads us to desperate places, we have no chance of healing and cleansing. Unless your sin leads you to a place like this man, where you're on your knees, on your face, falling, crying out, saying, if you're willing, make me clean. We need to all get to a point like that. Whether you're a believer, maybe you're still on a path towards faith in Jesus, that's, that's the path. You have to get to that place where you realize this is who I am, this is who you are, I need help, I'm now desperate. The brokenness of my sin has led me to a desperate place. And I need help. How does Jesus respond to this guy? It's amazing. All the way through the Gospel of Mark is such a real, earthy, amazing picture of the person and the work of Jesus. The first thing that Mark records for us is that he has compassion on him. He has compassion on him. You would have heard this uh, again and again. I think I, I can't remember how many times I've explained uh, the word compassion in the Bible has got to do with this deep, almost your, your bowels kind of like deep in your stomach churning kind of thing. Like, um, 
maybe this is too much information, but Dave was telling me earlier this week that he had a tummy bug kind of thing, and the oak was like wiped out for like a couple of days, and as I won't give you all the details, because it's just like this is a family show, like, but as he's explaining, I'm just like, okay, you know, enough, like, you know, we've all had those tummy bugs where you just, man, you can feel it deep down inside, and you want to just run away from yourself, you know, am I the only one who ever has any tummy bugs like that, but I don't often have tummy bugs, but when I do, they feel like an, and like, uh, you know, I'm ready to meet you, Lord, I'm on my way, that kind of vibe, you know, you feel like absolute death, but deep inside you, there's this journey, there's like this moving, <laughs> often too much moving, but like there's this, you're not like, oh, it's something casual, like, and that's the word here, there's this, there's this moving in Jesus, he's not casual, he's this guy, he's like, oh, sorry, bro, that, that sucks, man, I'm sorry to hear that, that's, that's lame, that, no, man, Jesus has compassion deep inside of him, he sees this man, and something moves in Jesus. And again and again, we see through the Gospels, Jesus moved with compassion. If you have a physical Bible or whatever, you'll see this little note there, because this is an interesting thing in the book of Mark, that the earliest manuscripts, not the most, but the earliest ones, don't actually use the word compassion. They use the word anger or indignation. It says that Jesus was not compa- didn't have compassion on him. It says Jesus was angry. Now, I actually think that that is probably uh, more the word that is actually used here, having had a, a quick squiz at it. Uh, but now we have to, now Jesus is not angry with a guy. Okay, that's not true to the character of Jesus. He's not like looking back thinking, oh my gosh, you got leprosy, bro. Like I'm, you know, like he's not angry with a guy. What is he angry at? Yeah, he's angry at the brokenness of sin in the world. There is a righteous anger that should be present in the heart of those who call Jesus Lord. When we look with our eyes and see the effects of the brokenness of sin in our world, and we say, this is not right. This is not right. And we can be righteously angry and then want to fix it. Amen. (laughs) What makes you righteously angry moves you with indignation. No, this is wrong. Lord, fix this. Use me to fix it. We should be moved with the righteous anger. So whether it's compassion or anger, those are both good things. We want to follow Jesus in both of us. Then what, he, what does he do? Whether it's a compassion or anger, he looks at this guy. And what does he do? He does something no one else around is expecting him to do. It says he stretches out his hand and he touches him. That word touches is, is he takes hold of him. He doesn't do like the, the touch, you know, like the open-handed touch. You know, you see some people when they play touch rugby, they do the open-handed like... Maybe, maybe you haven't played much touch rugby, but you're not supposed to grab hold of people. You're meant to just touch them. The word used for Jesus, he takes hold of him to move him somewhere. That's the word used here. It's, it's not just laying hands on him. He's grabbing hold. He wants the guy to know, I'm, I'm touching you. Isn't that amazing? He has, everyone's looking, thinking, this guy's breaking the protocol. He's getting too close to Jesus. He's getting too close to all of us. Oh, bro. Jesus doesn't shoo him away. He's saying, no, 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 go, bad. What could Jesus have done? He could have healed him with a word. He spoke the universe into being. Jesus doesn't struggle to heal with the word. But for this guy, he needed to be touched. Think of this guy. I wonder when the last time it was that he was touched by somebody. He was probably just craving being being touched by somebody. I mean, I think many of us are just craving hugging people. Or not the the non-huggers here. They were like, may COVID continue. Please, Lord, like, you know, I don't want to be hugged by anyone ever again at church. But some of us are like, we're like um, 
physical touch is high on our love languages. We like hugging people kind of thing. And we don't just want to hug our own kids and whatever else. You know, we want to hug other people. Say, how's it? We want to greet people with a hug. Uh, this guy never had that privilege, never had that experience. And here Jesus is, as he's approaching him, he's interacting with him, he reaches out his hand and he touches him, takes hold of him. No one would have done that to him for ages and ages because he's probably would have been at an advanced stage of leprosy. Touches him. You know what Jesus isn't worried about? Contracting leprosy. You know what he's not worried about? That the man's uncleanness would make Jesus unclean. You know what we've got a cool thing in South Africa? I don't know, I don't know if it's just a South African thing, but I think it is. The five-second rule. I've never bumped into others who know of the five-second rule outside of South Africa. You know the five-second rule. You know, if you drop something, you've got five seconds to pick it up. And then it's clean. You know, it's not infected yet. You can eat the chocolate or whatever your food you've dropped on the floor, any kind, like five seconds, after five seconds, in the bin. It has to go because it's contaminated then. But before five seconds, it's all fair game. Straight in, don't even have to rinse it kind of thing. I actually did research on this. And it's not true. I'm sad to say, Alex. I mean, I don't know if you believed it. That, but it's not true. <laughs> it's, there's no such thing as the five-second rule. I was distraught. It's got all to do with the cleanliness of the surface that the thing lands on and everything. Maybe you knew this, but I didn't. I was still going with a five-second rule. We still hold to that in our house. We're just like, just child, it's fine. You'll be cool. Bacteria you know, makes you stronger. The five-second rule. You know what the, the magic of the five-second rule is? We think that something, the, the dirty surface, it won't, won't cling to the whatever the sweets that you've dropped there, you just pop them in, the kind of thing. Like, it's clean. It hasn't had enough exposure. In it goes. We think, you look at this story, Jesus touches, he's not worried about this guy defiling Jesus. It's such a powerful picture of how Jesus comes close to you. I used to have a picture that when Jesus would come near to dealing with me, that he would almost need like surgical gloves, you know, like... I do love Doug, and I want to help him, but I need to, like, mask and gloves, you know, like, but, you know, there's too much mess going on, there's too much sin there. That's not what Jesus is like. Your uncleanness cannot defile Jesus. The exact opposite is what happens. His holiness comes and has a, an effect on you. As he touches us, we are made clean. We are made clean by his touch. He is not made dirty by our presence. And that, that, that spiritual reality and that truth is astounding. And for some of you who are sitting here feeling or, or watching, thinking, I'm unclean. I can't, I'm not welcome in the presence of God. I'm not welcome to get too close to God. I am defiled. I'm not, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up the church or going to defile God. That, that, that never happens. The cleansing goes in one direction, but it, the defiling doesn't go back the other way because there was a day. And it's only one day when the father chose to put all of the sin of the world on his own son and make him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That was a one-day thing. It only happened once that the son became sin for us. And never again does our sin defile him. Now we're free to interact because the holiness and the cleansing just goes in our direction. As we go to him, he looks at us, he touches us, and he cleanses us. That's what happens here. Next part of the story is he declares over this guy. What does he say to him? Be made clean. He doesn't declare 
healing over him. He doesn't see, say, be well, be better, be, clean, be, uh, be healed. He says, be made clean. Remember, it's an uncleanness, the leprosy. It's not just the healing, the physical thing. It's a deeper picture. And for, for many of us, we, we, need to get our, we need to get our heads around this. And I'll talk about it a little bit later. But there's something starting to notice again here. Mark's favorite word all the way through his gospel is immediately. Immediately. He loves it. He uses it all the time when you read Immediately this, immediately that, suddenly, immediately, immediately. Bang. Jesus touches this guy and what happens? He starts a recovery process. No, no, no. See, immediately he is healed. And his leprosy leaves him. Immediately his skin goes from being leprous to being smooth like a baby, no doubt. Can you imagine what that must be like? It's crazy. It's just like, phew. immediately, he is 100% better. I mean, the shock of that experience must be something else. There's a deeper spiritual reality of that. That when Jesus cleanses you and I, it's immediate. It's not left more for you to do. He, he gets you going. He gives you some, a, a good push, you know. And then, like, then you have to pedal like crazy. No, no, no. The, the spiritual uncleanness, the sinfulness, the sinful nature that we come into the world with and that we add to by our own rebellion and sinfulness is touched by Jesus as we place faith in him. And we are immediately and fully cleansed. We don't have to jump through hoops and do all spiritual things and top them up and add to stuff. It's a complete and immediate healing. Those who place faith in Christ, it's exactly what happens on the spot. Then and forever, listen to these, um, this verse in Hebrews. Hebrews is a dense, dense book packed with tons of amazing stuff. This is a dense verse, one verse. Speaking about Jesus, it says, for by, Hebrews 10 verse 14, For by one offering, one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. For one, by one offering, that's him in our place for our sin, he has perfected forever those who are now being sanctified, those who have been made holy. That, that should just absolutely blow your mind. That by one act of Jesus, he has done what for you? He has made you perfect forever. So you, you don't add that that is the banner over your life. Perfect forever. If you've placed faith in Jesus. Perfect forever. And here we have, it says, He's made perfect for those who have been made holy, those who have been sanctified. We experience an outworking of that now as God continues to change us. And we, we become, listen to this, this is very important, we become more who we already are. We grow into our identity. That's a buzzword these days, isn't it? Identity and you, know, you can pick it these days apparently and all that kind of stuff. Here's an identity for those who have placed faith in Jesus. Perfect. Forever. And the Christian experience is growing into and becoming more of what God has already made you. In different ways in the scriptures, we're described as saints, not sinners. That's your identity as a believer. You're a saint, and your experience now is growing into your sainthood, becoming more of who God has already made you. Not being a sinner, struggling to one day become a saint. No, identity is saint and trying to grow in the lived experience of who God has already made you. It's a fundamentally different way to approach 
life. Made clean. Made clean by Jesus. I love the way this works. Jesus touches him and he says, be made clean. Who does the cleansing? Who does the healing? Jesus. He doesn't ask this guy to do anything. You don't scrub yourself clean when you come to Jesus. You don't like fix yourself up and say, okay, like, well, hail Mary's, do all these things, sign up to volunteer at church, give your money, whatever else. There's none of that stuff that gets us into a righteous standing with God. It's receiving healing and cleansing that comes from the touch and the presence of a Savior. It's full, it's complete, it's all Him, touch, healed, be made clean. He doesn't give the guy a list of things to do, he just pronounces this declaration over him. What is this guy's response? What is his response? Well, Jesus gives him a clear instruction, doesn't he? It's amazing. When you read this account, about half of this account is this bit onwards, is how this guy responds to what Jesus has done for him. And Jesus gives him a clear instruction. He says, listen, don't tell anyone. It's counter to what we would have probably advised, but he's like, don't tell anyone there's a lot of reasons guys think. I don't think Jesus didn't want to be pushed into public notoriety and they, they try to make him king and force him and he didn't want him to be outed too early. He's got his reasons for why he wants to keep this on the down low. He tells the guy, don't tell anyone. Go and show yourself because he had to go and show yourself to a priest and then examine and give you a bill of like, cleansing so you could back, join back into the community, join back into the corporate worship of the community. Tells him, go and show yourself so be a, you'll be a testimony, but don't tell anyone. Clear instruction. And what does he do? He does exactly the opposite. He does exactly the opposite. Now, I mean, I don't, I don't know why he did that. I mean, maybe he's just super excited. You know, maybe he's just like, wow, no, no way, Jesus, am I keeping this like under wraps, man? This is the best day of my life. Woo, I would tell the whole world. Uh, and off he goes. And, and maybe, maybe that is what happens. But again, there's layers of meaning here in this. And I think for us, we need to look at this and think, man, again and again, I look at the scriptures, I spend time with God, he's given us clear instructions. He's given us clear instructions that we have what? We have clearly disobeyed. We've been like, we see what we should do or not do, and we do the exact opposite. Again and again. That, that's the nature of what we're like, or maybe the nature of what I'm like. I find this war within me. It's not that I don't understand or I don't know what I should do or shouldn't do. It's that it's clear. It's there's a, a, an obedience issue. And deeper than that, there's a lordship issue. There's a lordship issue. You see, many people come to Jesus when they're desperate. Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Please do whatever. We see in Jesus someone who can help us with our circumstance, with our struggles, with what's going on. Help me, Lord. And Lord, the Lord does help us. The Lord does. In His mercy, His grace, He helps. And then what do we do? We're gone until the next crisis hits. Hey, Lord. If everyone I had ever met and counseled and prayed with had stuck to their promises that they'd made in desperate times, the world would be on fire for Jesus. There'd be missionaries in every country of the world turning the I've met with people that pray, Lord, if you just do this for me, if you just, if I will, I will. And I've even made those outlandish promises. You know, when we're in desperate times, we, do de we say desperate things. We, we over-promise and then under-deliver. 
We, we use Jesus for what he can do for us. And then when he asks us to follow him in obedience, that path is too tough. And we walk away. And we dwell in the land of disobedience until we have another crisis, then we come back to him because we know he can help us. And he'll heal and he'll touch and he'll help. And then he gives clear instruction and then we wander away again. Because Jesus is useful to us, he's not beautiful to us. And we haven't settled the issue of who is Lord. Who gets to call the shots over your life? Let me ask you that question this morning. Who gets to call the shots over your life? Is it you or is it him? It's not, it's not a simple answer, is it? But especially for those of us who've placed faith in Jesus and walk, it's a revisiting of that again this morning. Say, you are Lord. You do get to call the shots. When you're given instruction, ours is to obey, to follow you, not to be like, nah, it's cool. That's a bit tough. Like, I'll see you next time I have an issue. I'm grateful you're going to help me. As we close this, let me point us to some of the things that we can dwell on and dig deeper into. I want, us to, I want to remind us, as I said earlier, that unless you see your need and cry for help, there's no hope of cleansing. Unless you see your need, unless you cry to Jesus, there's no hope of cleansing. He is the healer. He's the cleanser. He's the one who pronounces, be made clean. You don't clean yourself. You are made clean by him. And I pray that with new eyes again this morning, uh, those of us who follow Jesus would see that. Maybe those who are listening who, or here who, who haven't crossed the line of faith, placed your faith in Jesus, you would realize and appreciate a new desperation of your need for, for cleansing. That, what a thing to be made clean by him. And that for those of us who have been made clean, that we would rest in that and celebrate it again this morning, that you would rest in the finished work of Jesus. Put, put to bed the ongoing striving and scrubbing yourself and rest in this. You can't add to his perfect work. It's just something to receive and enjoy and worship him for. You have been made clean, made perfect forever. There's something in that that will just like devastate the self-help efforts in your own heart. It's something to just receive and delight in. And then lastly, that we really do sit with the Lord and try and settle again the Lordship question. Who is Lord? What outlying areas of our lives have we left or pretended to leave outside of his control? It's like uh, I'm a World War II uh, fanatic. I, lo- I don't love World War II, but I find it very interesting uh, how the whole war happened and all this stuff and watch endless documentaries and read stuff about it. Um, and I won't bore you with all the details, but it's like at the end of the war, the war uh, the, the, the German forces in places had surrendered, but there were outlying parts that hadn't, the news hadn't got there yet, that like, you're done. And so they keep fighting, not realizing that the war is over. You don't have to keep fighting, you've surrendered. You, you can just down the guns and just walk away like, you're not going to win this thing. Your, your, your head has surrendered, and you're done. And there's an area like that in our own lives where, we have surrendered, and yet there's these outlying little sort of villages of your life that are still putting up a fight, thinking, exerting their own independence. And the message needs to get to those outlying areas. Hey, there is a new Lord. 
There's a new power that has sway over here, and you need to submit. And those areas of our lives, some of them are hidden, and we need to be honest, we want to keep them hidden. Because we like some of those outline areas to rise up in little rebellion because those are places of supposed joy and idolatry for us. But the work of the Spirit, as we grow, sends a message to those outline areas of rebellion to say, yours is to bow the knee and to submit to a new authority. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father, this morning we, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful, Jesus, for um, all of these encounters that you had with people that are recorded for us that we can revisit and learn from and hear and meditate on that can teach us about what you're like and what we're like and can instruct us. And this morning we want to rejoice that you are a healer and a cleanser. That not only do you, do you heal physically, but more importantly, you cleanse spiritually. And we rejoice in that. Your words, be made clean. And pray that, again, this morning we would delight in that. We would, uh, as I said, bring areas of our lives that we may have muddied again um, by our own foolishness and rebellion and sin. We've, as it were, we've rolled around in the mud again. We've, we've sought to contract leprosy, as it were. And yet, you are able to cleanse again and again because you've made us perfect forever. And this ongoing experience of ours is to lean more into who we are in you. And so, I pray, Father, this morning by the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would cleanse us again of the areas where we have sought to defile ourselves, where in our foolishness there were things that we've run to, habits that we've got into, things that we've said, things that we've left undone, ways we've treated people, attitudes and motives of our own hearts, so many areas where we, like this leprous man, come to you on our knees, a desperate and needy people, longing for your touch again longing for the touch of the cleanser and the healer. And that we would celebrate again this morning that you are Lord, Savior, King, and God. And that you have claim over our lives like nobody else has. And that in, in new ways this morning, we would submit to your Lordship over us joyfully. And you would help us to bring those areas that are of outline rebellion under your lordship again. Give us grace to allow those things to submit to you. You get to call the shots over our lives because you call the shots in the whole universe. You are the ruler of all things. And we come joyfully and willingly to submit to you again. Not under your thumb. Not, not cowing, cowering before you. Joyfully running to you as children returning to the love of a father. Wayward sons who've squandered your grace, who come running back now to be welcomed, accepted, cleansed, and lavished love and mercy over again. 
Do that for us again this morning, we ask, Father, please. In Jesus' name.